A new proposal at San Diego State University would provide a means to revoke emeritus status to professors. If an emeritus professor did anything that could harm the university's reputation, the school would be able to revoke that title and those privileges. The move comes as all organizations and platforms are discussing what is and what isn't acceptable speech. It does raise a question, should SDSU be able to cancel professors? For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Gary Robbins, you cover higher education for the Union-Tribune, and given all the debates that are happening across our culture, this uh, strikes me as perfectly prescient. Explain what this policy is and how it came about. Give us the background. Well, you know, it's kind of mysterious how it came about because it really was distilled in one single paragraph of an email that was being distributed among some of the faculty, and some other faculty brought it to my attention. Uh, This was something that was written by a committee that is meant to go up the chain through the university senate. What it says simply is that the university would have the right to revoke the emeritus status of any faculty member if they harmed the reputation of the university. But they didn't uh, describe what it meant to harm the reputation. It's not specific in any way. Um, And it's also not clear where it came from. The administration said yesterday that really it didn't come from us, but when we tried to get a hold of the chairman of the committee that wrote it, what he did was defer to the administration for comment, and they ended up commenting. They said that they were putting this together or they were trying to do it because right now they don't have any kind of rule or regulation that enables them to essentially fire or revoke the uh, status of an emeritus professor if they do something that's really bad, like some criminal act. Um, But, you know, they're kind of saying they want it done, but saying they're not involved, but it seems like they're involved. So it's confusing. We talked to some other faculty about this, and some faculty who usually don't speak on the record did and said, what is this? You know, um, you're you're saying that you want to be able to revoke emeritus status um, without defining what the terms are. And some people feel it's an assault on free speech and on academic freedom, which has been, you know, uh, under stress throughout the the United States. To understand why it's important, um, it's important to understand that emeritus status is something of a perk. So if you're a retiring uh, faculty, you can apply for it. And it can bring benefits like, um, actually, uh, health and dental coverage. Um, You might be able to keep an office on campus. You could apply uh, for grants. There are financial factors and lifestyle factors that are that are very lucrative here, and a lot of uh, retiring faculty want it. Now, when we asked where did this all come from, what was the impetus for anybody to propose this, um, the university said one thing, but faculty said, you know, this may be aimed at people like Stuart Herbert, who was mm-hmm. an emeritus faculty, who has made a lot of controversial uh, remarks over the years about immigration, race, and diversity. I mean, he's really been out there. He's attacked the university. Um, One of the student groups has attacked him back, saying that he's racist. He denies all of that. So he's been very controversial. There are other controversial figures like Peter Herman, who's a current member of the faculty. He's a literature professor. Peter's 61. He'll be retiring, he tells me, in four or five years. So they could potentially use this against him because Peter writes a lot online and in print about the state of the university, and a lot of it has been highly critical of SDSU and its president, Adela De La Torre. So he's concerned about that, you know, being held responsible for allegedly embarrassing the university about something he said 
even before he would apply for emeritus status. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things that really kind of points out to me as somewhat odd is that the way the professor emeritus system currently works, it's like you're retired, you're not necessarily an employee, but you get those employee perks. So from a purely business perspective, it does make sense that you would want to revoke that privilege if someone did something that hurt your organization. But on the other hand, academia uses traditions that are hundreds of years old. So it's kind of a weird balance in which this system has been unchecked at this point. But, you know, clearly the debate over how do we effectively moderate this group isn't really happening because this proposal seems to be a little bit too extreme for most. Yeah, and is it the role of a university to moderate its faculty? The idea of tenured professors is that people are able to speak um, what's on their mind without the uh, threat, direct threat of losing their job. Now, all of that is within some reason. There have been professors in this country, particularly over the past year, who've lost their jobs for making racial comments, for example, or things that were considered way out of bounds when it comes to issues of diversity and uh, even in immigration. Um, So there's been a lot of struggles over the past years about really coming to a better understanding of what free speech means on a campus and among its faculty and students. And I think this is an example of that playing out. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about the pressure that uh, President Adela de la Torre and other leaders may be feeling to kind of pursue this? Uh, do we know anything about that? Well, the administration says they're trying to correct an, an oversight in the sense that they don't have the, t- the, the right rules in place to act against someone who's emeritus professor if there's, if there's something serious involved. So they're talking about that broadly. Um, I'm not sure why that would be an issue now. I mean, did they not know this years and years ago. I mean, the university's more than 100 years old. You would think that all previous administrations would have realized this is an issue. It is, this isn't the first time you've had faculty who've uh, been figures who've made controversial comments, for example. Um, I don't know whether this represents an effort by Delatoria or other people on the campus to kind of subtly threaten people with what they're saying. Um, we've made many, many request to speak to President De La Torre, and most of the time she just absolutely said no. So mm-hmm. she has said that she was going to operate in a transparent way, but when it comes to talking about issues like this, um, she just hasn't been available to us for real one-to-one conversations, whether it's been on this or with the, uh, the problems the university has had with its, um, uh, with its fraternities or with the plan to uh, have the satellite campus. We haven't been able to get through to her in a clear interview to talk about how many students would be added over what period of time. So it's not clear what she thinks and, you know, really what the impetus is here. Mm -hmm. So one of the arguments that we're hearing from the faculty that you mentioned that usually don't speak up is that they say it would create a chilling effect. When you kind of extrapolate on that a little bit, um, what exactly are they fearing? Well, they're fearing that if they speak out on issues that are lightning issues like immigration and race, that their words might be interpreted in a highly negative way. And because we live in a cancel culture, people are looking for controversial things. So if you go on Twitter right now, you see that people are ready to jump on one another based on what their views are. And that's caused a lot of professors to kind of pull back. It has that chilling effect. They don't want to lose their jobs either. Um, So there's a lot of fear, I think, or based on what I'm hearing from faculty at San Diego State that, oh, my God, Uh, this represents one more threat to our ability to speak out. So they're concerned that if it isn't made clear 
what causing harm to the university means, then they could be denied um, emeritus status or lose it quite easily. Because what would happen is the university center would make a recommendation. So let's say that you're the professor. They say, you know, we need to yank Daniel's emeritus status. And then it goes to whoever the president is at the time. If the president sees that person as a troublemaker, he or she could say, yeah, you know, I agree. Um, this is a very deep um, free speech issue. It reminds me of something. Oh, within a couple last past couple of years, I wrote a long story about the chancellor at uh, UC San Diego, Pradeep uh, Kozla. Some people didn't like the way he was running the university. Some people thought he was bullying. Other people thought he was fantastic. It was a very tough story. There was a lot of um, very frank language used about the chancellor. And I talked to him later down the line just to get his reaction and, and to tell him that we we're just airing what the public said. And he said in the end that he was okay with it because it represented the strength of free speech. And there's been a couple of other uh, times where he's done something similar to that. So Kozla at UC San Diego has really kind of come down on the side of say what you want to say, but be able to defend what you're saying. San Diego State has been less so. There has been times when Cal State San Marcos um, has really avoided trying to talk, uh, frankly, about issues that have affected the campus. And in talking with faculty, you get the sense that they're very fearful about speaking out because it may have repercussions on them. I, I've experienced that both with Cal State San Marcos and with San Diego State University and with um, UC San Diego. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to cancel culture generally, I feel like this idea is kind of lumped into one when really there are multiple forms of it. There's the public one where let's say you have a terrible take and everyone online tells you how stupid you are and at worst cases you might get doxxed or harassed. And then there's others where within an organization, let's say you're a mid-level manager, you make a mistake or you go against leadership, you get fired unceremoniously. In a sense, both are cancel culture just in different ways and with different kind of degree of power. And it seems like all of our institutions, especially higher education, doesn't really have the tools to adapt to this fast changing communicative world in which there's no gatekeeping. Anything goes when universities are kind of used to having control over the narrative. And it seems like this seems to be an attempt to kind of grasp some of that power back. On some level, it does feel exactly like that. So really, particularly over the last 10 years with the rise of social media, Anybody can say anything at any time, and a lot of faculty do that, and sometimes they say things that they regret, um, and, and they ended up being canceled in some way or another. Maybe they don't lose their job, but maybe they lose other privileges, or maybe they lose a pay increase or a grant or something like that. There's been so much focus, Daniel, on canceling people out, it is just overwhelmed something else. When do we forgive people? Everybody that I know has said something stupid. I know that I have said things that are stupid and that I've regretted them later on. Um, you want to be in a position where if you cancel someone out, does the moment come when you, when you forgive them? There's, there's very little um, uh, attention to that right now. And I think it really it's a manifestation of what's going on in the United States. People are very, very tense because of COVID-19. Many of people are really forced to live within small areas and not to see all their friends as they normally would. Everybody's worried about catching this disease. We're in a very combative uh, political climate right now. The economy isn't doing well. So people are stressed and they're at the point of wanting to snap. I think that's the reason we're seeing so many of these 
uh, videos where someone says something awful and other people whip out their cameras and cancel them, cancel them. Um, I wonder sometimes whether the people that are taking those videos ever stop to think, you know, I've said something like that myself and I would want people to forgive me. Now, I think that there are some things that may be unforgivable. Um, but what do you do about people who make racial remarks or immigration remarks? Do you eliminate people forever or do you work with them to help them have a better understanding of our society? I think this is playing out in a wicked way on college campuses. And I've got to be honest with you. I've been a reporter for more than 40 years. Most of that time has been on campuses. I spend a lot of time with professors. And some of the most intolerant people that I have ever met are college professors. I'm not saying that's broadly true. I'm saying I meet a lot of people. And there's this judgy attitude on university campuses that goes back to the beginning of university campuses. Mm-hmm. And one thing that kind of flavors this conversation is how colleges and universities broadly have shifted away from that ivory tower ideal to a business that provides a service, the idea of students as customers. Given that we're in this reality in which more people are viewing college and universities in this way, isn't it somewhat expected that colleges essentially being businesses in this response, kind of respond to cultural shifts, just like how we've seen many companies uh, support like the Black Lives Matter movement following the protests after the death of George Floyd. Do you see that kind of change happening where it comes from the ground up? Yes and no. Um, The universities I cover have just many, many people that are incredibly thoughtful, sensitive people who want to do the right thing and to cultivate that. And they want to work with students to do that and with faculty. At the same time, they are businesses and they really haven't moved their business models as much as you might think. For example, right now, look at UC San Diego. They're rushing to offer online courses to deal with COVID-19. Well, they had to be forced into that by a pandemic. UC San Diego was strongly resistant to four-credit online courses. It interfered with their business model and the way they were doing things. They are in the middle of historic construction expansion, where the whole idea is to bring people to campus in classrooms, in dormitories, in conference halls, and do it as they've done it since the beginning of higher education. Um, So this has upset their business model. They have adjusted in some extraordinary ways some of the efforts you have seen on the the part of um, faculty to deal with their students online has been remarkable and wondrous. At the same time, I talk to students and they say these universities are not doing enough really to embrace the technology um, and to make it so interactive that they can talk to their professors the way that you and I are talking right now with this clarity and comfort and ease of, ease of platform. A lot of students don't like um, the courses that are offered online. They feel that they're very isolating and that it produces a lot of loneliness. So add the loneliness to what people are feeling as well when it comes to who speaks out or who doesn't speak out. Um, I talked to some experts over the past week or so when we did a story about the fact that many universities, most universities, are charging full tuition for online courses and that students and their parents are really, really mad about that. And what the experts told me was the universities are doing that right now because they're bleeding cash uh, and that most of them will go back to their conventional models after COVID is brought under control. I don't know if it if that will be fully the case. Um, So many industries are under stress to, and maybe it's a permanent change. 
look at our own company, the Union Tribune. Um, we are online real heavy. We're still printing um, a paper, a print, print paper, and will for some time to come. But it has transformed the way that our company and other companies think about what we do and how we reach customers and how we uh, remain profitable. Universities are just a business in that sense, and they're doing the same thing too. So they've reached partway towards customers, but it is only partway. Mm-hmm. And also one thing that's worth noting is that uh, today's college students are certainly a unique group. Uh, consider the cultural change that someone who's 18, 19 has been through just since high school. Like, for instance, we've been through the Me Too movement, which is still going on, Black Lives Matter. Um, all of these things that have radically changed the conversation about what is and what isn't okay to say, discussions about privilege and mental health. Do you think that this generation will kind of force organizations to address these problems head on while Gen X and some millennials have been resistant to these conversations? I'm hoping that's the case. I'm not yet sure what to make of Generation Z, uh, the 18-year-olds right now. What we do know is that as a generation, they appear to be the most welcoming of people who are different than themselves. We've seen this in study after study, including really good work out of San Diego State University by Gene Twenge. Um, but while they're more tolerant, are they more active? Do they really mm-hmm. get involved in pressuring institutions to make change? If they see intolerance, do they stand up and act, act out? Um, I don't have the answer to that yet. What we know about Generation Z is that they leave the home much later. They get driver's licenses on average much later. They start to date much later. They're real homebody kinds of people. They uh, use their computers, but you know, the people who have really been complaining lately has been Generation Z when it comes to online classes. This is the first generation ever that has always had access to social media, the internet, and cell phones. But they're yelling the, the, the loudest here. And it may be because they don't think that the quality of what they're getting meets what they are used to. So I'm not super clear on how they're going to use technology to affect change. Are they really going to use all of this technology to pressure a school like UC San Diego to have more Black Lives Matter demonstrations? What are they really going to do? Um, you know, we really haven't been seeing big changes in the ethnic mix of some of our universities. If you look at who's being admitted, universities are quick to say, oh, we greatly increased the number of offers we made to black students and Hispanic students. But then you have to look at how many actually accept and stay. And the figures there are far you know, that's, those are far lower. Um, the university talks about them, but, you know, it feels like unless students and their parents keep pressure on these institutions to really change and, like, really do more, then maybe de- maybe it doesn't change as fast. I remember something from about a year, year and a half ago when UC San Diego announced that it was going to begin using the term Latinx when it kind of, rather than saying Latina, Latino. And it was a more encompassing... Um, definition, but the university, even though they had some of their best people on it, had a difficult time explaining what Latinx really meant. Mm-hmm. Who did it apply to? So when they said things like non-binary and transgender, the definitions there weren't very good on the part of the university, even though they had consulted uh, LGBT on campus. It was kind of like the university saying, we do want to deal with this. We hear what you're uh, are saying, but they were stumbling forward in enacting, the, enacting it. Now, 
UC San Diego has almost 40,000 students. In total, they have 65,000 students, faculty, and staff. It is a large institution. It's academia. Academia does not change quickly most of the time. So maybe mm -hmm. that's what you're seeing. Um, and maybe what's been going on now will push things further. Um, the campuses generally haven't been open since George Floyd was killed. Um, so there hasn't been big demonstrations on most campuses. Uh, a lot of college students, however, have been participating in the demonstrations across San Diego. I've met them. And leading many of them as well. They absolutely are. You're right. And um, whether that spills onto the campuses when they begin to reopen is something that remains to be seen. Um, the black student groups at UC San Diego and San Diego State are not large, but they have some uh, really good black leaders on both of those campuses. Um, so we'll see more. Um, same with Hispanic groups. What I'm wondering about is whether we're going to be hearing from international students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, UC San Diego's financial fortunes are tied to international students. Almost one in four of every student they have is from another country. Uh, students from another country pay twice as much in tuition as California residents. These universities need that kind of money to help grow, grow the university and to help pay for the education of California residents because California residents have gone along with the legislature in agreeing to cut the budget of like the UC system and the CSU system. Um, but particularly with Chinese students, they are broadly speaking afraid to speak out because the Chinese government monitors what they say when they're overseas. There could be real mm -hmm. consequence in their lives. They're afraid to speak out here from having blowback. They're afraid of speaking out at places like UC San Diego because there's been tension between Chinese students and students that are from Hong Kong. I've had students from Hong Kong telling me that they didn't get support from Chinese uh, students when all the protests were going on. The Chinese students are saying, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? So there's all these bubbling tensions going on. But when it comes to the international students, it has not blown up into large-scale demonstrations. You haven't seen international students saying, why is the government of the United States treating us like we're criminals? Because a lot of these students do feel that way. And we have seen remarks made on the floor of the U.S. Senate that say that. Uh, there have been mm -hmm. remarks like that, that that have come from major American uh, government agencies and from, pre uh, from President Trump. So we've seen some change on the part of the Gen X who are American, but it's been limited. And we have seen very little change when it comes to international students, even though everybody is in this great period of uproar. I mean, we just went through the situation where the government was saying that if you were an international student and you ended up only taking online courses, even though that's what the university was offering, you had to transfer to another school or you had to leave the country. I think the way that these students will speak, in a sense, is with their feet. They won't walk onto the campuses. Yeah, um, yeah. It appears that there's going to be a significant drop this fall in international enrollment at uh, American universities. And that could have a catastrophic effect on the financial condition of UC San Diego. Mm -hmm. And also going back to the proposal itself, what's the timeline here? When are we expected to hear anything new? On, what, on which, which timeline? Oh, for the, 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 the proposed rule that would allow emeritus professors to be uh, you know, canceled. Uh, where does it stand and what's the next thing we're going to expect to hear? So it appears that the idea was going up a level to another Senate committee on campus this week or, by, or digitally, however they choose to do it. 
and it can be revised there, and then it can be passed on the, to, to the full Senate. The, the, um, the uh, email that we got from the university yesterday said that it could end up before the university Senate in the fall, for example. Sitting here today in July, I have no idea what form it would take. I suspect that as a result of the coverage we had today, there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, these various committees to really become specific when it comes to saying, what do you mean when you say harm to the university? Or do you mean racial epithets? Do you mean producing things that embarrass the university in some way? What do you actually mean? And, mm -hmm. you know, I had a text earlier today from one of the uh, people associated with the Daily Aztec newspaper at San Diego State, which has just been a bulldog over the past year. And you can believe that um, campus papers like the Aztec will be all over this, uh, even during the middle of the summer when they typically aren't. Mm -hmm. All right. Gary Robbins, thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, one day after a record-breaking number of new coronavirus infections, California has surpassed 400,000 overall cases, data from the Los Angeles Times show. By comparison, the New York Health Department has reported more than 408,000 infections, but that state has reported more than 25,000 deaths, while California's death toll is approaching 8,000. The news comes after California again reported its highest number of coronavirus cases in a single day, with 11,554 cases recorded Monday. The number surpasses a record broken just one week ago, when 11,142 cases were reported. The state is also reporting worsening death tolls. The seven-day average of coronavirus-related deaths has been hovering between 91 and 99 fatalities since July 10th, the worst it has been since the pandemic began. Locally, the county is nearing 25,000 positive cases, with 24,520 so far. The county is still hitting three triggers. The case rate is too high, there are too many community outbreaks, and case investigations are failing to reach the goal of reaching 71% of people testing positive. The death toll increased by nine as well. So far, 487 people have died. The San Diego Union Tribune is hosting a contest to create the best public service announcement to remind people to stop the spread of COVID-19. We're soliciting listeners like you to come up with the best PSA for print, digital, or video. The winner of the contest will get a grand prize of $2,500, and their PSA will be published in the UT in various formats. The winner will also have the opportunity to be a guest on Fox 5 San Diego's Morning News. You have until August 16th to submit. For more details, go to uniontrip.com slash stop the spread. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to learn more about San Diegans you should know, listen to another UT podcast, Name Drop San Diego. Join the UT's Abby Hamblin and Christy Totten as they speak with Tony Gwynn Jr. about his time in the MLB, efforts to diversify baseball, and an outlook on the next Padres season. Name Drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.